Our scripture reading this evening is taken from the second book of Chronicles, chapter 18. Second Chronicles, chapter 18. The great theme of the book of Chronicles is looking back to go forward. It's a sort of historical sermon that is preached and written for us that we may learn from the history of the kings. We may learn both good and bad. And in chapter 18 we are in the second chapter dealing with the reign of King Jehoshaphat of Judah, one of the good kings. And yet, as we shall see, a good king with some serious flaws. So Second Chronicles chapter 18. Jehoshaphat had riches and honour in abundance, and by marriage he allied himself with Ahab. After some years he went down to visit Ahab in Samaria, and Ahab killed sheep and oxen in abundance for him and the people who were with him, and persuaded him to go up with him to Ramoth-Gilead. So Ahab, king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Will you go up with me against Ramoth-Gilead? And he answered him, I am as you are, and my people as your people, we will be with you in the war. Also Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Please inquire for the word of the Lord today. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, four hundred men, and said to them, Shall we go to war against Ramoth-Gilead, or shall I refrain? So they said, Go up, for God will deliver it into the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is still one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. Because he never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. He is Micaiah, the son of Imla. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say such things. Then the king of Israel called one of his officers and said, Bring Micaiah, the son of Imla, quickly. The king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, clothed in their robes, sat each on his throne. And they sat at a threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets prophesied before them. Now Zedekiah, the son of of Canaan, had made horns of iron for himself, and he said, Thus says the Lord, with these you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the king's hand. Then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Now listen, the words of the prophets with one accord encouraged the king. Therefore, please let your words be like the word of one of them, and speak encouragement. And Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, whatever my God says, that I will speak. Then he came to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go up to war against Ramoth-Gilead, or shall I refrain? And he said, Go and prosper, and they shall be delivered into your hand. So the king said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And then he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? Then Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the hosts of heaven standing on his right hand and his left. And the Lord said, Who will persuade Ahab, king of Israel, to go up that he may fall at Ramoth-Gilead? 
So one spoke in this manner, another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, In what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, You shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of these prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you. Then Zedekiah, the son of Canaanah, went near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, Which way did the spirit from the Lord go from me to speak to you? And Micaiah said, Indeed, you shall see on that day, when you go into an inner chamber to hide. Then the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah and return him to Ammon the governor in the city, and to Joash the king's son, and say, Thus says the Lord, Put this fellow in prison, and feed him with bread of affliction, and water of affliction, until I return in peace. But Micaiah said, If you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, Take heed, all you people. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat the king of Judah went up to Ramoth-Gilead. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and they went into battle. Now the king of Syria had commanded the captains of the chariots who were with him, saying, Fight with no one, small or great, but only with the king of Israel. So it was when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat that they said, It is the king of Israel. Therefore they surrounded him to attack, but Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him, and God diverted them from him. For so it was, when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, that they turned back from pursuing him. Now a certain man drew a bow at random, and struck the king of Israel between the joint of his armour, so he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn around and take me out of the battle, for I am wounded. The battle increased that day. And the king of Israel propped himself up in his chariot facing the Syrians until evening. And about the time of sunset, he died. And may God bless the reading of his holy word. Our text this evening is found in the chapter that we read, Second Chronicles chapter 18, and the verse, <coughs> and the verse 6. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not still a prophet of the Lord here, that we may inquire of him? Jehoshaphat, as we have seen, was one of the good kings of Israel, of, of Judah, he is the king after Solomon and Hezekiah who get the most attention in this second book of Chronicles. And he is, like many of these kings, a complicated figure because he has both good and bad elements. The good overwhelms the bad and yet his goodness is at times... It really shades into a sort of um, ineffectual niceness. And we see that here in his alliance with Ahab, king of Israel. Chronicles essentially assumes that you have read kings first, that you know the kind of man Ahab was, that he was, technically speaking, an apostate. He was a man who had fallen away, he had married 
that wicked woman Jezebel, who was the daughter of a priest of Baal, and he had sacrificed to the Baals the false fertility gods of the Phoenicians. And so he was exactly not the kind of man that any king of Israel, any king of Judah rather, should be involved in. And yet we find this alliance, and we find here the king, King Jehoshaphat, who failed to say no when he should have. We see here, first of all, a proposal. We see, secondly, prophets. And thirdly, we see the peril that Jehoshaphat ended up in. Proposal, prophets, and peril. And first we have the proposal. Jehoshaphat had riches and honour in abundance. And they came because of his godliness, because of his committing himself to the service of God. And then we find the second part of verse 1, what we should not have expected. And by marriage he allied himself with Ahab. Ahab, the man who had murdered and robbed, the man who worshipped false gods, the very worst really of the kings of Israel, the kingdom that had separated from Judah and had drifted away into the sin of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who set up the golden calves in Bethel and in Dan. And then he had gone, he, he had gone further. He had worshipped the Baals as if the sin of Jeroboam had been nothing. He had persecuted the prophets. He had followed the advice of his pagan wife. And Jehoshaphat, by marriage, allied himself with Ahab. Now, on one level, it made some sense. They were, after all, two parts of the kingdom of Solomon and David. They'd had a shared ruler. They had a shared history. And no doubt, part of Jehoshaphat's thought was, well, by having my son marry his daughter... We can perhaps draw our peoples, our sundered peoples, back together again. It seemed to make some sense. And yet the problem was that Ahab was supremely ungodly. Oh, let's have an alliance. We're two weak little kingdoms. If we come together, we can be a big, powerful kingdom. And it's that siren song that comes with the ecumenical movement today. Oh, our denominations, our churches are small and weak. Let us join together and we shall be big and mighty. Well, how has that worked over the last hundred years? Because it's been over a hundred years since the church union movement began with different Methodist branches getting together in 1907. Well, the answer is that it hasn't built up the churches at all. The decline goes on and on and on. Why? Because the root is theological. The root is spiritual. It's not about organisations. It's not about alliances. It is spiritual. It is about piety. It's about honouring God. But Jehoshaphat, who did love God... Now, when we 
look at the ecumenical movement, we're not to think that this is just a, a movement entirely of apostate people. There are genuine godly people among the Methodists and the Anglicans, among the URC, and so on and so forth. There are real believers, even among the leadership. And yet, there is a fundamental weakness in the attitude here. Oh, let us ally together. But Israel was not a, a sound state. And the aftermath of all this was not that Israel became better, but that Judah became worse. That Jehoshaphat's son and heir was influenced by Jezebel's daughter and not the other way around. But here, Ahab receives a visit from Jehoshaphat. After all, they're allied in marriage. They need to meet up every so often. And Ahab killed sheep and oxen in abundance for him and the people who were with him and persuaded him to go with him to Ramoth-Gilead to battle against the Syrians. Now again, it appeared to make some sense. Ramoth-Gilead was part of Israel. It was part of the territory, the, the promised land that God had given to his people in the days of Moses. It was part of that land that had been occupied by Joshua's forces. Therefore, to recapture it from the, the Syrians seemed to be a good thing, fighting the Lord's battles. But again, Ahab was not the Lord's man. Ahab was an ungodly man. But it seems to make sense. Let us get together and let us campaign together to win territory. And so the proposal comes. Let us work together. And the goal seems to be a good one. Let us get together for a mission. That's how it comes so often to churches today. Let us get together for a mission. Let us get together and... Okay, we have our differences, but do we not have a shared goal? Well, the problem is, do we have a shared goal? Jehoshaphat's aim was to glorify God. Jehoshaphat's aim would have been at this point to think, we must get back part of God's land from the pagans. Ahab's aim here is, I must get back part of Israel's territory from my enemies. And how better to do this than to not just send my army, but get somebody else's army in too. Ahab was using Jehoshaphat. Ahab used people. People like Ahab use people. He doesn't see Jehoshaphat as a, a valued ally. He sees him rather as somebody to be used for his power, his might, his goal, his end. The idea that God's people have, can have shared spiritual goals with those who deny the gospel is ridiculous. We do not have shared goals spiritually with those who deny the gospel. There are indeed some points that we can have in common. We oppose immorality. But more and more we find that there are those who claim the name of Christ and yet their view of morality 
They talk about a new morality which tends to look an awful lot like the old immorality. We have, do not have shared goals. And we do not have a shared faith. It's Jehoshaphat, not Ahab, who says, please inquire for the word of the Lord today. Ahab's whole aim is, I must get this political alliance. It's all politics. It's all politics. And it shouldn't be all politics. Not even in the days of the kings. Not even the days when the kingdom of God was a a visible kingdom on the earth. Should it have been all politics? How much less should it be all politics when it comes to the churches today? It shouldn't be politics. It should be the service of God seeking his glory, seeking his will. Please inquire for the word of the Lord today. Please seek God. Jehoshaphat sought God. Ahab didn't. How could he? He didn't know God. He might be the king of Israel. And yet, he didn't know God. His worship was a false worship. And so we come after the proposal of the alliance. A proposal that Jehoshaphat should have said, No, no, my people and your people, we cannot be together. And he says, I am as you are, and my people as your people. We'll be with you in the war. No, they can't be. Because my God is not your God, he should have said. Your worship is a false worship. You are worshipping false gods. But no, it's, oh, let us get together. This seems to be a good goal. The man who couldn't say no. The king who couldn't say no. He's a good man, but has a fatal weakness that he's too nice. There are some good people like that. It can be a fatal weakness. They don't like to ever say anything that upsets anybody. Now, we shouldn't enjoy saying things that upset people. There are some people who are just natural contrarians who just want to fight. There are some people who just love an argument. We shouldn't be like that. But at the same time, we shouldn't just be so nice that we will never say no. We will never say, thus says the Lord. We will never say, but God has said, and God's word is more important. It's something that has so crippled the witness of certain elements of evangelicalism. It's just people being too nice. They're not willing to say no. They're not willing to say I'm sorry, I can't do that. Because the word of the Lord tells us not to do that. I do think that the current Archbishop of Canterbury is one such man, Mr. Welby. He's a very nice man. He's too nice. He won't say no. He's supposedly an evangelical, and yet, yet he never seems to stand for the evangelical faith. And it's a tragedy, as it was with Jehoshaphat. Good man good king and yet too nice and so we come secondly to the prophets the prophets the king of Israel gathered the prophets together 400 men no wonder they had to go out on a threshing floor a big open space outside the city yet there is an irony in the location what happens on a threshing floor is threshing The separation of the wheat 
from the chaff. The separation of that which is valuable from that which is not. And there was an awful lot of chaff on that threshing floor that day. There was Zedekiah, the son of Kenana. And he had made horns of iron. Precisely what this was, we're not sure. I always tend to think of him as wearing a sort of headband with horns on. Perhaps a bit like that chap who was seen in the US Senate in 2020 with his horn hat. And pushing these horns, this is what, thus says the Lord, with these you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. And they've all got something to say. It's all encouraging Ahab. Go out, Ahab. Go up, for God will deliver it into the king's hand. And it all looks really impressive to everybody except Jehoshaphat. See, Jehoshaphat is a godly man. He's a a weak godly man, but he is a godly man. And he sees this display, and he can see right through it. These aren't prophets of God. These are court prophets. They are there to tell the king whatever the king wants to hear. That's their job. They're people with the ear to the, the ground when it comes to politics. And an ear to the ground and not an ear to the heavens. And so Jehoshaphat asked the question, is there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? Now all of these prophets, I mean Zedekiah the son of Canaan says, thus says the Lord. So he says he's a prophet of the Lord. But Jehoshaphat says he's not. And Jehoshaphat knows God. And Zedekiah the son of Canaan doesn't. These claim to be prophets of the Lord, just as the, the golden calves in Dan and Bethel are supposed to be shrines to the Lord. And it's all empty, it's all politics all the way down. It's all man-pleasing, man's, man-centered religion. It's a religion that tells Ahab what he wants to hear, that tells ungodly people what they want to hear. God is with you. God loves you just the way you are. And Jehoshaphat's not fooled for a moment. Is there not still a prophet of the Lord here? We may inquire of him. And the king admits there is a a prophet. There's still one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord. But I hate him. I hate him. Why does he hate him? I hate him because he never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. He never tells me what I want to hear. No, but he always told him what he needed to hear. Ahab is like King Herod, who hated John the Baptist, because John the Baptist kept telling him, you need to stop doing what you're doing with your brother's wife. His brother, of course, was still alive at the time. Oh, and so was Herod's wife. You need to stop your wickedness. You need to turn and repent and believe the gospel. You need to turn and repent. There is salvation. There is salvation even for an Ahab who turns and repents. It doesn't matter how vile the sinner is. There is salvation for those who repent. But if we believe in the forgiveness of sins, and we do... 
And we must, as Christians, we must also believe in the reality of sins. I've told the story before, a gentleman I know who was a candidate for the ministry in the Church of Scotland. And he was examined before presbytery. It was a very, very liberal presbytery. Didn't believe the gospel. And he preached a gospel sermon. And he preached about the love of God for sinners. And he preached about the forgiveness of sins. There is pardon for all who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, he declared. And at the end of the sermon, one of the, pres- one of the men of the presbytery came to him and said to him, I'm not even sure you're a Christian. Because you keep talking about forgiveness. Why do people need to be forgiven? Because we're sinners. By this man, Jesus Christ, is preached to you what? The forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. Micaiah, the son of Imla, preached the forgiveness of sins. There is pardon. But there's also sin. And so Micaiah is brought up. And the messenger who has gone to call him, and the implication is he's in jail. He's been jailed for preaching the truth. And the messenger says to Micaiah, he's bringing him up to the king. Now listen, the words of the prophets with one accord encourage the king. Therefore, please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak encouragement. Please tell the king what he wants to hear. Please tell the people what we think they want to hear. Please just... Pat them on the head and say how good they are and how God loves everybody just the way they are. And Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, whatever my God says, that I will speak. And then he comes. And the king asks the question, shall we go to war or shall I refrain? And Micaiah replies, go and prosper, for they shall be delivered into your hand. And now I always picture him saying this in the most sarcastic tones possible. That absolutely communicates the point. I'm just telling you exactly what you want to hear. Because I know you don't actually care about the truth. You just care about going and having your battle. And you want to believe that you're going to win. You're going to do that, whatever I tell you. And Ahab, at this point at least, picks up that Micaiah is not telling him the truth. After all, Micaiah never tells him what he wants to hear. Why is Micaiah doing it now? And then Micaiah gives his true answer, the the true answer. I saw, I saw, God gave me a vision. All Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. The battle is going to end in complete defeat and you are going to die, Ahab. Now the awful thing was that the people were as sheep without a shepherd while Ahab was still alive. He didn't care about them. The shepherd is a picture in the Old Testament. It was a wide picture actually in the culture, in the cultures around, that the king was like a shepherd. The eastern shepherd goes out before his flock. He carries his rod and his staff with him and he leads them. And they follow him. And he cares for them. And protects them. Not so Ahab. Ahab cared for one person, namely Ahab. And Ahab, like so many tyrants and bad leaders in history, 
He saw the people as just there for him. They had no shepherd already and soon they would literally have no shepherd because Ahab was going to die. And the king of Israel just turns to Jehoshaphat and says, Didn't I tell you he wouldn't prophesy good concerning me but evil? And Micaiah goes on and explains why is it that all the prophets have this false word. And it's that God has determined that all the other prophets are liars. Now, the reality is that they were all liars already. But every one of them is given the same message by a lying spirit. And we have to think of this in the same way that in the opening of the book of Job, Satan is able to come before God in heaven. And now here, again, a, a wicked spirit does God's will. Because all things end up doing God's will, whether they want to or not. And so he has two options before him. Listen to the uncomfortable truth. If I go up into battle, I am going to be killed. Or listen to the comforting lies. Go up. With these you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. And Ahab has a real choice here. There's no force being put on Ahab to make him do anything. He has a real choice. And he chooses to do what he wants to do, which is go out to battle and believe the false prophets and not the true. And that's why when he heads off, before he heads off, he says, have Micaiah locked up in the deepest, darkest dungeon and feed him on bread and water. Bread of affliction and water of affliction until I come back in peace. And then, then he'll learn his lesson. And of course the response from Micaiah is, if you come back in peace, God has not spoken by me. And so we go up. He makes his choice, free choice. And yet the choice that God determined he would take. Ahab's personality means that he would have to take the choice that he took to believe the lies rather than the truth. Jehoshaphat, on the other hand, must believe the truth. He knows this is God's prophet. He knows if we go to Ramoth Gilead, there will be disaster, there will be defeat. And so what does Jehoshaphat do? He goes up to Ramoth Gilead because he can't say no. Because he can't resist Ahab. He's too weak as a man. He's too nice to say, no, you're going to die if you do that. He's too nice. And so he leads a man, or he allows a man to send himself to death. And it gets worse. We see, thirdly, the peril. The peril. Ahab has put himself in peril. He loves lies and hates truth. And therefore he will go... To his own death. And therefore he will go up to Ramoth Gilead. And he will put Jehoshaphat in peril. Because this is the thing about false alliances. Is they put the people. The good people. Like Jehoshaphat who enter into them. They put them in danger. The king of Syria had given an order. Decapitation strategy boys. We find the enemy king. And we kill him. And we know that it's going to be Ahab is the supreme commander. We want to fight him. And 
Ahab has to know that he's going to be targeted. And so he says to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle. I won't be wearing my royal robe, ordinary armour, like an ordinary chariot soldier. But you put on your robes. Now it must have been obvious to Jehoshaphat, as it is to us the readers, what's going on here. Make Jehoshaphat the target. Then Jehoshaphat gets taken out, and Ahab doesn't. And then Ahab pats himself on the back. I will be able to beat God. I'm going to use him. He's been using him all along. He's a, a user. He's that kind of man. And so they go into battle. And there is the one chariot. And there's a man in the chariot in royal robes. Gleaming helmet. Oh, this is a king's chariot. And so, of course, we've got the orders. Decapitation. Get the king and take him out. You take him out. The battle's over. And there's Jehoshaphat. And the Syrians are pressing upon him. They, were sur- they surrounded him to attack. And Jehoshaphat sees... I'm about to die. I'm about to have a whole load of Syrian archers pour arrows into me. And he cries out and he cries out, Oh Lord, help me. Oh Lord, have mercy upon me. And they hear this cry to God. And the Lord helped him. And God diverted them from him. Because it would seem that one of the, at least one of the commanders knew what Ahab looked like. So that's not Ahab. It's a trick. As you didn't know that it, this was the king of Judah, of course, they would have assumed, oh, this must just be some random soldier who's been disguised as the king. We've been tricked, boys. Find the king. When the captain of the, cha- captain of the chariot saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. And Jehoshaphat is safe again. Brought into peril by the false alliance. Saved by God. Ahab has done nothing but cause him trouble. God has brought him out. God could quite readily have said, Look, Jehoshaphat, you brought this on yourself, man. You cry out for me to me to help you. And I I'm going to leave it. I'm going to let you die. You'll die and go to heaven, but you'll die. But God doesn't do that. God delivered him. God is merciful. To all who call upon him. God is merciful. And there is, and there is forgiveness with him. Not just for non-Christians. But for Christians. The gospel isn't just something that we preach to unbelievers. To, to bring them to Christ. And then that's it. The gospel is something that we preach to ourselves. That we need day by day by day. To hear the love of God. The grace of God. The forgiveness of sins. As the old Christian creed puts it, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Pardon for sins of deepest dye. Pardon not for just what we did before, but for what we do as Christians. We can come. When our Lord taught his people to pray, and he taught us to pray, he taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. Because just as we need daily to be fed, So daily we need forgiveness and daily we receive forgiveness. There was forgiveness for Jehoshaphat. And there was Ahab going around on the battlefield. I've done it. 
And there he is in his chariot and your standard ancient Near Eastern war chariot. You've got a, a man at the front with the reins and you've got the archer in the back. And the king is the archer and he is firing his bow into the Syrians. And the Syrians are, are shooting and one of the Syrian archers just draws his bow and fires. And the arrow happens to hit right between the joints of Ahab's armour. And he falls back and he feels the the blood within him, feels the blood soaking his clothing under the armour. I'm hit, I'm hit, turn around and take me out of the battle, I'm hit. And there he goes, up onto the hill, prop me up, I must stand in the chariot facing the enemy. And Ahab dies there, facing the enemy, at the time of sunset. He's managed to hold on. Ahab's a curious man. We read much more about him, and this story is not Ahab's story. This is Jehoshaphat's story. King's is Ahab's story at this point. But here we have Jehoshaphat's story. And Jehoshaphat's story is a man who was too nice. And because he was too nice... The wicked man he allied with is dead. But thankfully he is alive because God is merciful and gracious. And our mistakes, our sins, even our sins that we commit because we didn't tell people what we should have told them. Our sins all may be forgiven for Christ's sake. Jehoshaphat who cried out to God is forgiven, delivered, saved. Ahab who believe the lying spirits who listen to what he wanted to hear is dead and God is over all and God rules and reigns and God points us to Jehoshaphat and he doesn't just say don't be like Jehoshaphat don't be too nice for your own good he tells us I'm giving you a, I'm going to give you a king who is better than Jehoshaphat a king who's not just one who calls on God but is too nice, gets his people and himself into trouble, and gets his people involved in a false alliance, but a king who stands for the truth, a king who is good and altogether good, even the king Jesus Christ, Christ who never never told people what they wanted to hear, he told them what they needed to hear, he tells us what we need to hear, And he stands and he stood even against the Pharisees and the Sadducees, against Herod and everybody. And he himself is faithful and true. And he encourages us to follow him, to walk in his footsteps, to stand. To stand for the truth. Difficult though it may be at times, persecution will come. Trials will come. People will not be happy. If you tell them the truth, you will be sometimes like Micaiah, the son of Imla. And people will say, I hate him, I hate her, because of what they say. And we do not speak in hate. We do not speak in hate against anybody. But we must speak the truth, even as Micaiah, Micaiah didn't speak the truth to Ahab because he hated Ahab. He spoke the truth to Ahab because he loved him. 
To speak the truth in love is the calling of the church. May the Lord help us to do that and deliver us from the temptation to be too nice for not just our own good but other people's good as well. May we speak the truth in love and stand upon God's word. Amen.